Hey, good evening, everybody. It is Thursday, November 19th. You are listening to the 20th episode of the Turnbuckle Post podcast. I'm joined now, as always, by my partner, Mr. Jesse the Body. Jesse, how we doing? Oh, not too bad. Been a little rough, uh, rough few days, but getting Excellent. through it. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, my uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law's house was the uh, victims of a house fire. wasn't their house directly got set on fire. It was the one next door, but they were collateral damage out of it. So we've been trying to help them out and get the new vehicles, and just been. It's nice to join the podcast for our twentieth episode and kind of take my mind off things a little bit. Yeah, and that's that's what we try to be for everybody is a is a nice uh, escape from reality some days and and um, you know to your point um, you know uh, I, as you said the Red Cross was out um, helping them out getting them squared away and put into you know new lodgings while they're trying to figure out what to do with their house and everything so um, I don't know if uh, if your brother and sister in law have any kind of fun set up or anything but definitely donations to the Red Cross always help people in a in a situation like that um yeah they have and, a yeah they have a gofundme that i posted to my facebook page so okay yeah, yeah like, they're, they're, up, they're up quite quite a bit right now but you know it's been nice that people have been contributing and putting in there so if anybody yeah. uh, wants to go to my page and contribute you're more than welcome to if not totally understandable but uh yeah well, they're and, i mean they'll they'll have uh, their house back they said probably probably around may or june okay well, and that's, and it's tough with, with the, having the two kids and it's going to be Christmas time. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot to put on somebody, you know, it's already a stressful time of year and it's in a very stressful year already. And, um, right. And so it we'll, on um, Friday, Friday, the 13th of all days. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and, and, you know, I feel they're great people and I feel terrible. Um, and what, what I'm all plan on doing after we get off here is, uh, I'll, I'll grab that link from your page and I'll put it on our, um, our homepage for our show as well. Um, so maybe that'll give it a little bit of a boost. Um, you know, not that we're that popular, but you know, it does reach out to other people. So. Yeah. We, we, we appreciate it. Like I said, well, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll get through it and they'll have an even nicer house when it's all said and done. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you know, uh, for our 20th episode, uh, Jesse and I are, are big, uh, big fans of the professional wrestler, Steve Borden, who uh, you may know as Sting. Not the one from the police. <laughs> yeah, not the musician. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about Sting today. I don't know if we'll get into like a real like succinct timeline of it or other than just a, I mean, his, his career really came in two parts. Um, you know, there was the surfer and, and he was, you know, WCW, WCW's answer to Hulk Hogan for a long time. Um, as far as that big personality, um, you know, Ric Flair is obviously the the goat, but but his he was always that WCW version of Hogan in the in the after mags. Like he was the one they always that was their dream match was Hogan and, and Sting. And um, so we'll, we'll talk a lot about uh, you know his career and the things that we've seen from him. Um, you know, we, we really, might we might we might not go by a regular format of doing his career like. Uh, chronologically, we may we may point out specific things and just our our favorite moments that we know of Sting, um, just to uh, make sure that we don't miss anything. Absolutely, and we'll we'll just totally bury WWE for what they did to him at the end. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was well, I mean we'll we'll get into it, but I was totally looking forward to that run and and you know Vince McMahon's ego once again got in the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. 
you know, Steve Borden, he's probably going to be one of the least controversial people that we we've talked about on this show. I mean, uh, you know, he had his his issues with with uh, substances and things like that. But uh, he's he been very open. Part. I'm sorry. He stays. He stayed pretty grounded for the most part. Like you said, there wasn't a lot of, you know, not a redemption story or, or really anything like that, because he, he stayed pretty grounded. He's I think he's still married to the same woman and has kids. He just kind of lives a normal. He, he's one of the few wrestlers that have separated his personal life from his professional life, I, I think. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and I think I think there's a very clear demarcation between Steve Borden and Sting, where a lot of these guys like, you know, in reading Flair's book, it's like there was no line. It was just he was always Ric Flair. Yeah. And that's what you know, that's why he's been married six times. That's why he's been, you know, uh, ripped off and, you know, spent more money than he's earned. And it's because he, he doesn't know how to turn it off. And. I think with Sting, I think it's the opposite of that. I think he knows, you know, when when I leave the locker room and wipe my face paint off, you know, that's it. I'm done being Sting for the day. I'm I'm Steve, I'm Steve Borden, husband, father, yeah. you know, homeowner, Absolutely. stuff like that. Which I mean, and that's that's a good thing. I don't I like that, you know, we're not going to be talking about this guy that was nuts outside of the ring because he lived his gimmick. And um you know, that's Unfortunately, that's what we're going to get into a lot of doing these episodes about, you know, wrestlers from the past. But um, but just just kind of some early biographical information on him. He was born in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, he played football and basketball in high school, and then uh, he wanted to be a, a bodybuilder. Um, and, um, you know, he uh, he really didn't have he wasn't like a student of the game, like a lot of the guys will talk about. Um, but, you know, he was. He was accidentally discovered and brought into the uh, Continental Wrestling Federation where he was teamed up with Jim Helwig, who you may not know is the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, they were known as the uh, the Blade Runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually in UWF uh, where they were rechristened. Um, they, Sting was orig- originally called Flash, and uh, I can't remember what. Ju- Rock, uh, Rocco or Rocco Rock or something, or Rock or something like that. Yeah, and... Yep. So that was uh, Bill Watts territory in in Texas and the southern states. Um, UWF was Universal Wrestling Federation. That's where Jim Ross got his start as a as an announcer. And um, they were just and in, and in Steve Borden's own words, I used to have a biographical video about him. Um, you know, they were they were green as goose shit, and um, you know, but they were just big guys and they were intimidating. And they had that like road warrior mentality of just come in and wreck everybody. So, um, I, yeah, I can't remember if, if uh, they came before the road warriors, didn't they? Uh, I think they were. I think they were based upon the road warriors, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I, I can't. Uh, I don't have that in front of me right now. Um, but it was in '87 when they were in. 86 and 87 when they were in UWF. So, okay, yeah, so, uh, so it, the it, Road Warriors came out around 84, 85, so Road Warriors yeah. were first. So they predated them a little bit. I mean, and we've seen all kinds of attempts at, you know, remaking the Road Warriors. There's been, you know, obviously these Blade, the Blade Runners here um, obviously went on to be two really successful singles wrestlers. Um, but then you've had Demolition. You've had, you know, even, even recently we've had Crimson and um, – I can't remember what the other guy's name was, but they teamed up to become the War Kings, and they actually had Animal as their manager um, on the independent circuit. But um, 
but yeah, I think that was that was big at the time that you know the face paint and the, the intimidation and and they were actually heels to start off with. Yeah, but, it was uh, it was a uh, justice. That's who Warrior was. So it was Flash yeah. and Justice, the Blade Runners. Yeah. So um, so you know basically, uh, if you don't know, and we've never really explained this in detail on the show, but around this time, um, in the in the wrestling was changing, but it was still largely that old format. The NWA ran you know, the Carolinas and the Virginias and those areas, the U- UWF was the Southern States, uh, Texas, things like that. Or, I'm sorry, not Texas. That was world-class championship wrestling with wasn't the Von Eric. UWF was Florida, wasn't it? Florida, Georgia. Uh, was it? I thought it was, oh, hang on. I could be wrong. Let's see. Headquarter in Oklahoma. Um, but it was it was also a member of the NWA, so it was kind of a an offshoot. And then AWA ran uh, Minnesota and the northern states. And then WWE was or WW World Rest, Worldwide Wrestling Federation was the New York ter- territory. Um, so at around this time was when Vince McMahon started to make his push into becoming a national brand and, and becoming the WWE that we see today, where there's very very little competition. Um, and, um, at the time the NWA, um, territory started to consolidate and UWF was trying to make a push. They actually went out of business and were purchased by the NWA or not by the NWA, but by, uh, Crockett promotions. Yeah, they, um, so Sting started Sting and Jim Ross and a lot of those guys uh, came over to NWA and, Immediately, to me, kind of made an impact. Uh, Sting was especially a standout because of his unique face paint. You know, he had the the build of a superstar, and it was actually Ric Flair who had been prominent in the NWA for quite a few years at that point who really saw something in Sting. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, I think, and Flair's, even in his book, he says that this was his goal was to make Sting look legitimate and he did so by letting Sting take him to a 45-minute draw in the very first Clash of Champions. And the thing that's significant about it is Flair basically just got his ass kicked for 45 minutes. <clears throat> um, you know, he made Sting look like a million bucks. And, uh, you know, he's, he's had ups and downs since then, but that was really his star-making performance was just beating the living crap out of Ric Flair. And how that came about um, with Clash of the Champions, of course, you know, WWE earlier that year, just to give everybody a little bit of history. I think we spoke about this before, but we can kind of go in a little detail. So the WWE had put on their, uh, the very first Royal Rumble on free TV on USA Network. And it, it aired the same night that w, the NWA was putting on Starcade, which was their major show of the year. It was basically their WrestleMania. And because of that, the, you know, Vince McMahon kind of, kind of won that night. Starcade didn't get the buys that it usually did. So in response to that, when WrestleMania four came around earlier that year, Jim Crockett promotions. Okay. Said, okay, you want to play dirty? Let's play dirty. So they put on the very first clash, of the champions and flair picked sting as his opponent saying basically to Jim Crockett that me and sting will tear the house down. We'll we'll be able to get you, you know, the, the ratings that you need for the night. And I think they did end up uh, winning that night. Yeah, they did. Um, and then uh, Vince McMahon made a pretty open threat to, um, to promote or to uh, cable companies that they weren't allowed to do that again, like you know, carry both shows. Um, 
And, um, you know, it's it's fair when he does it, but it's not fair when someone does it to him. So that's, yeah, he basically told them that he wasn't yeah. going to give them – he wasn't going to have let them have SummerSlam, which was going to be the very first SummerSlam and mm-hmm. the second Survivor Series. So, yeah, he, yeah. he played – he played really dirty. <laughs> so, I mean, and a lot of things, a lot of things happen around this time. And, um, you know, despite getting his, his start somewhere else, things going to be known as the franchise of WCW slash Crockett Promotions slash NWA. Uh, I mean, that he was the gold standard. He was the one that never left. He was always there. He was always putting on matches with everybody. Um, and, and, and in this time, he actually was brought in to the Four Horsemen as a way to kind of keep him at bay. And that's kind of one of my favorite, and I'm kind of segueing to say one of my favorite things about Sting is he's um, like character wise, he's such a positive person that he is probably the dumbest baby face that has ever been in the history of wrestling (laughs) because he gets betrayed by every single person that, (laughs) that brings him in as a friend. Like he's just very altruistic and like he, he wants to see the best in people, but then they screw him over every time. Well, and then also <laughs> another, you know, credit to sting is that he's always been able to try to work with what they've given him, you know, let's not forget the capital combat pay-per-view where Robocop showed up oh, boy. and he had to kind of try to make that work. It, I mean, it was horrible, man, but yeah. you know, credit to sting. He, he did what he did, what he could to legitimize it as best as possible for people watching. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, the, the, the NWA turned on Sting um, prior to that, or I'm sorry, not the NWA, the Four Horsemen, excuse me, turned on Sting prior to that. Um, and Sting was about to get his big revenge climbing into a cage, and he actually blew out his his knee. And uh, Jim Crockett wanted, or, yeah, yeah, Jim Crockett wanted Sting to, or I'm sorry, Flair to drop the title to Lex Luger, who he thought would be the next Hulk Hogan. And Flair uh, went against that. Um, fought him on it tooth and nail because he said, I promised I was going to drop this, the title to Sting. And that's not fair. And if you notice, not a lot of wrestlers have a lot of great things to say about Lex Luger. Yeah. Uh, he was never really a wrestler. He was more of a, he only did it. He wasn't a true wrestling um, historian that he only did it for the bodybuilding purposes. Not a lot of guys have a lot yeah. of very positive things to say about Luger. Yeah. I mean, in, in Flair's book, he talks about like Luger's a very nice man, like as far as, you know, personality wise, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think the passion was there for it. And I mean, and, and you just saw how little charisma he had when, you know, WWE tried to make him into Hulk Hogan. And I mean, it just, it just didn't, it didn't, didn't land the way they wanted it to. That led into one of the darkest periods in WWE when they were trying to put Luger over because they'd lost everybody at that point. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just not a, (laughs) You know, Sting would have had a better shot than Luger would have in WWE after Hogan left. Yeah, and they they tried a lot of things, and and and, and the NWA around this time was really struggling. Um, you know, Sting was kind of getting some backlash as a babyface, as we've seen, you know, in these days where you know the company's trying real hard to make somebody into this big babyface, and it just kind of doesn't doesn't ring true. And um, so they tried to create this mystery angle of the Black Scorpion. And the original guy they got to play the Black Scorpion dropped out when he realized he was going to lose to end the feud, which I don't know why he thought he was going to beat Sting to begin with. (laughs) They had several different people come in and fill in that role. And then finally, and, and Ole Anderson was dubbed over as the voice, which was, that was fun. 
but but the actual... oh, let's not forget he was the voice of the infamous Shockmaster too. Yeah, he he's uh I don't think he should be allowed to voice anything. <laughs> but um, but so you know this this storyline went on for a while, and finally I think didn't the Black Scorpion like emerge from a spaceship or something, and like uh, and it ended up it was Ric Flair all along, and I mean it it didn't it demeaned the title and it it, it made it look silly and comical when nwa was not known for that that type of yeah thing. because we thought we were going to get you know an, another new opponent for for sting you know somebody mm. somebody that we'd never heard of i mean they built it up really well and then turns out it's flair it's like oh you know back to the same status quo exactly it's sting and flair again i mean people were kind of tired of it you know by this point yeah absolutely absolutely and um you know sting continued to uh to carry the title. I mean, he carried different titles. He was a U.S. champion, defeating Steve Austin for it. Um, he lost that, that title to Rick Rude. And then he, fu- he feuded with uh, Pauly Dangerously, who is Paul Heyman. And <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> in his stable, that included a lot of different people. Um, but, but it was just basically him versus Heyman. And um, Let's see. And he actually defeated Luger to win his first WCW World Heavyweight title um, in the 90s. So. Oh, I thought he actually ended up defeating Flair for, the, for his first title ring. For the NWA. So at this oh. time, yeah, at this time they were they were two different titles. Um, and then eventually WCW pulled out of the NWA completely. So there was, there was two world titles. Uh, I think Flair actually... Uh, I think Vader actually beat Flair to, to like consolidate them at some point, but um, but yeah, that's what happened with that. And you know, in the in the '90s, Sting had a lot of different like random feuds. Uh, obviously, uh, with Vader, they brought him in as a monster, and um, he initially got over on Sting and, and beat him pretty badly. Um, and then Sting would would feud with like Cactus Jack and Jake Roberts and the very famous. Um, coal miners glove match that was selected by the uh, spin the wheel make the deal yeah that was that i remember uh, jake roberts talking about that match where he was where basically uh, he was trying to get the, the snake to bite him and it wouldn't bite him so they had he had to fake you know he had to put the snake's mouth on his jaw to make it look like yeah. the snake and hold his hold that face there to make it look like it was biting him yeah i remember the uh I just remember because that was on that DVD I was watching, or that tape. I actually had a videotape of Sting, um, but um, but I remember Jr.'s call of it, and he's just like the the coal miner's glove, the coal miner's glove, and like the snake is literally like, I mean, he's holding it up against his throat, and Jake and Jim Ross is yelling about the glove. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, buddy, you're gonna have to excuse me. I, I still have a lot of congestion, so I'm coughing more than I intend to here. Oh, you're fine. But um. But yeah, um, I mean, and it was a lot of these, you know, Sting worked with just about anybody. Um, and actually, he and um, he and Vader and and um, <clears throat> Jake Roberts and um, British Bulldog all ended up in the uh, very first cinematic things that we've seen in wrestling with the uh, the mini movies that WCW produced in the early '90s, um, which was like, you know. Uh, Big Van Vader's White Castle of Fear and um, Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal as a mini movie, and um, and they did Beach Blast as a mini movie where uh, 
a, a little person named um, Cheatham, I think, blew up a boat that had British Bulldog and Sting on it before a pay-per-view. And, yeah, uh, was, uh, <laughs> they tried all kinds of different things, man. They, they were trying so desperately to beat, you know, WWE and the ratings and everything they tried. It was either forgotten about the next week. I mean, there was no consistency at all in the writing. They were just throwing stuff against the wall week by week. And, and like I said, Sting always, to his credit, tried his best to make everything they threw at him work. Absolutely. And um, so basically, uh, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of other things. I mean, he as soon as Hogan came in, um, Sting got knocked down in the pecking order, and that that was in the 90, 95, 96 time. Um, you know, Sting Sting was the number one babyface for you know the for about seven or eight years there. But uh, as soon as Hulk Hogan came in, they weren't really in the Sting business anymore. But he was he always played like a second fiddle. Like it'd be him and Savage, and and you know they'd be Hogan's best buddies. And this was around the time too, where he started to change his look. So he was no longer yeah. the uh, bleach blonde, crew cut, surfer surfer guy that people had known him to be. He had started to grow his hair out. It was back to its original color, being black. So he was starting to morph into a new character. Which after he went on a hiatus, we didn't find out what that would be after that. But I think I think he kind of did it on his own. I think. I think he figured he knew he had to change because times were changing. So he was mm-hmm. starting to become a little bit more of a, of a darker character. Yeah. Like, as you said, um, you know, this thing that we were talking about, he had a crew cut. I mean, he looked like a surfer dude. I mean, his, his face paint was all bright and colorful. His gear always matched and it was bright and colorful. And like you said, this, this began that evolution into, <clears throat> if anyone has not seen the crow, um, that's basically what he was. Um, he would actually have a crow with him sometimes coming to the ring, but, um, but so that, that, that whole thing kicked off with Luger was accusing sting of, uh, being part of the NWO and the NWO had a fake sting that was running around that was attacking team WCW before fall brawl. Um, sting actually came into the ring at fall brawl and just destroyed everybody and then left. Um, and then the following night declared himself a free agent. And at that point, uh, he basically took a vow of silence and he would not speak for the better part of a year. Well, even, even to backtrack a little bit, talk to go back and the match of the beach when the NWO formed, he was part of that tag team match. It was supposed to have been him, Savage and Luger against, the outsiders and their mystery partner who would find out to be Hulk Hogan. Luger was taken out earlier in the match and it became mm-hmm. a regular tag team match. And they, they just sting and, and Savage just kind of, kind of became second fiddle after the whole NWO reveal, but he was part of that. He was in that match that yeah. where the NWO was formed and changed wrestling forever. Right. And I actually read one book where um, uh, it said that Hogan had cold feet about it and sting, sting was actually the backup plan. So if if Hogan hadn't have been been able to go through with it, we would have had Sting as the as the leader of the NWO, which I don't think it would have been as as effective and and memorable. But no, I, w- I wouldn't have been have been as impactful because you know Hogan turning heel. No. Hogan was giving up a lot. He was giving up a lot of merchandise sales. He was going to become mm-hmm. the most hated man in wrestling. I mean, he was taking a big risk. <laughs> yeah, and and I think you know he, I think he could read the writing on the walls. I mean, as I was saying, you know, I watched I'm watching Nitro from the beginning, and and even in '96, there's I mean, he's getting booed out of the building, and people saying Hogan sucks. I mean, and this isn't even in 
you know, anti-Hogan territory. And I think it was just time. It was time for a change. And, and it obviously led to a lot of longevity in his career. Oh, yeah, without, without uh, a doubt. But, but yeah, Sting, so. yeah, like you said, Sting, Sting had, had been a part of that. He had left the fall brawl match and was gone for the better part of a year. He did not wrestle again until the infamous uh, 1997 Starcade. Now, this had been, yeah. now the, the buildup for this, I have to say, was fantastic. The way they built this up, the way they kept Sting and Hogan apart until this match was, was great. Yeah. I mean, and, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go, go ahead. I just, I just want to say that it was, you know, it was a year long build. They, they built it up really well. They didn't rush it. And, you know, the entrances were, were awesome. And then you get to the actual match and you just become deflated. <laughs> yeah. And it, to your point about the buildup, man, it, it was just, that was probably the best example of long form storytelling I've seen in wrestling. Um, just, you know, it was, you know, week after week. Sting would come down and, and you know, harass people and harangue them and then hand them his bat and turn his back to them to see if they could be trusted. And, you know, and then, you know, they're offering him matches against all these people in the NWO and he turns it down and turns it down. And then, you know, finally you realize that he's he wants Hogan. And that's the only match he's going to take. And they finally sign it. And it's like, like you said, it just builds and builds and builds. And it was a slow buildup. And then it's like, damn, this is the one we want to see. Like, you know, maybe not the way we thought we would see it, but it's that this is the one we want to see. And, um, yeah, like you said, they get they get to the match at Starcade 97. And um, Hogan thought that uh, Sting was uh, out of shape and that he looked kind of pudgy and uh, didn't have endurance because he hadn't wrestled in a year. And he basically used his creative control card and, and some back dealings with referee Nick Patrick to make a slow fast count. And that was supposed to be Hogan's out was that there was going to be a fast count, but then Sting would beat him afterwards. But because Hogan dominated the match and then we had a regular three count, it, it looked like Bret Hart was restarted the match because of sour grapes and then Sting won because of that. Right. It was it was all leading to, I mean, you know, Hogan, Hogan had agreed to do the job for that. But then it was like, well, now he's got a controversial way to get his title match back. And ended up winning the title back from Sting, but not even a month later, I don't think. So Sting Sting beat him at Super Brawl, um, and then actually, it was uh, Randy Savage that was the one that beat Sting um, at Spring Stampede because of uh, interference by Kevin Nash. Oh, okay, I got that mixed up. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I mean, you're fine. So, I mean, then that was that was in a nutshell the the pro Sting. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to reminisce about, like work wise with him. I mean, it was it was all that character work, and he had to do a lot to tell a story without being able to talk. <coughs> and that was a big part of his character in the 90s was, I mean, he was a talker. And, you know, you take that away from him, you take away his look, you take away all that stuff, but he becomes an even different, a different type of interesting character. Yeah, I mean, he, he you know, he had to learn, he had to learn to make, you know, his, with his face without making too many expressions, he had to use his body language. Mostly mm-hmm. express how he was feeling, and and then then it kind of got to the point though after after that after the Starcade the whole thing just kind of oh, okay so he kind of went back to his he wasn't so much of a dark character anymore they bounced back and forth between having him create his own well it was Kevin Nash that created split off in the NWO created NWO 
Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. Sting was a part of, you know, instead of the white and black face paint, he had the red and black face paint. I mean, around this time of WCW, I don't have a lot of fond memories because, again, they were trying to, they were getting beaten the ratings and they were trying to everything different week to week to try to see what would stick. Yeah, and I, I was never, I mean, like, I, at the time it was really cool because, you know, um, you know, as a 90s kid, I liked Sting. To see him in the Wolfpack, you know, it was, oh, man, this is cool, you know. But in in hindsight, I really hate that they did that um, because you know this is your one, this is your franchise, this is your you know a one WCW guy that never turned or never went to a different company, but he becomes part of the NWO. Yeah, it's it's self defeating. Well, it, um, it showed it showed that the NWO had taken so much that Hogan had so much creative control, and Kevin Nash because he was the Booker at the time had so much mm-hmm. control in this company that. As soon as you went to the NWO, you just immediately became a star. The whole thing just became watered down and gave to the point mm-hmm. where people just stopped caring about it. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, they, they had everybody in the in the Cobb County that was part of the NWO at some point, and it's just it it loses its effectiveness after a while. And you uh, know the one the one memorable thing from the NWO or the Wolfpack thing was the. Uh, he and the Giant won tag, the tag team titles together, and the Giant was part of NWO Hollywood. And so they had a single ma- singles match to determine who would hold both belts. <laughs> and Sting actually scored an upset victory over the Giant uh, to, to claim both of those titles. But, yeah, I remember, um, yeah, I remember that. That was another – because I think I – think, didn't DDP actually volunteer to be Sting's partner after that, after the Giant turned on him? Uh, it could be. I, I don't remember specifically. I think it was. Um, and then he did have a feud with Bret Hart during this time as well uh, over their the Scorpion Deathlock slash Sharpshooter. And um, Bret got the better of him in that in that series. Um, and, and that was pretty much, I mean, that was pretty much all we heard from him because he, he went, he was gone for a while, came back in 99. Um, and, you know, challenged for the title, um, and, and had a series of matches with Vampiro. Um, and I want to say he fought with the demon too, which if anybody doesn't know the history of that, it's one of the worst <laughs> deals Eric Bischoff ever made. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. He, he, he worked with Gene Simmons from Kiss to create a Kiss inspired wrestler that, I mean, he was a terrible wrestler. It was supposed to be a whole, the whole band. Like, the Demon was supposed to be the first one introduced. It was supposed to be a whole quartet based on the band. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I, I read about that the other day, that because the Demon character failed so miserably, they decided not to go through with the rest of it. Yeah, that's that's probably for the best. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and they had the Dark Carnival that had – that was Dale Torborg, which was the Demon, and Vampiro and um, ICP, which – <clears throat> isn't much better, but they did that for a while. But um, but yeah, Sting Sting had a lot of like various feuds towards the end of WCW. Um, I don't, I, I want to say he wrestled on the very last Nitro. He and Flair wrestled one last time, and um, I think that was the main event of the final Nitro, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I remember. I remember that night. I remember that Nitro where you know Sting. One thing we can say about him during his time in WCW, once he got there to the NWA before it became. WCW, he never left. He always asked mm-hmm. what was what was done of him. He was the loyal employee until the very mm-hmm. end. And Flair even said on that last episode that his greatest opponent in WCW had always been Sting. He said that they were going to go out, then they were going to go out 
you know, having that one last match, which Flair even admits he probably shouldn't have. He was in terrible shape. He had to wrestle in a shirt because, yeah. you know, it was he just wasn't up to par at that certain point. Yeah, and, and you know, we're going to do our three, three-part three series on Flair, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really yeah. difficult to read about his bouts with depression and anxiety, and especially because it's basically because of how he was treated in WCW. Um, and you know, because he, he wears his emotions on his sleeves, he was, he was defined down to the point that, you know, he, he didn't feel like he was worth anything. And, um, man, that's, that's tough to, tough to read, tough to hear about anybody. Yeah. Um, but Sting, but you know, Sting, had, we, all, Sting had always been there yeah. for him. Sting had always been yeah. his friend and he knew that he could, yep. that if anybody could bring a good last match out of him in WCW, it, it would be Sting. Yeah. And actually, uh, you know, when Sting first won the NWA championship from rick flair he broke character and uh acknowledged him you know as the greatest you know on the house mic after the match and uh it confused the fans that were live but uh but he had such you know he has such respect for rick flair that um you know he felt like he had to do that and luckily he wasn't punished for it or anything but but as you said i mean that's that's the test of time right there that's you know 10, 15 years that they're, you know, working together and they're friends and they have respect for one another. Yeah, around, around this so. time, we thought we would finally, because, you know, as you said, the <laughs> last WCW show, they were bought out by the WWE. So we thought we would see Sting at some point show up in the WWE shortly after this. That did not happen. Nope. Um, Sting actually, he kind of set out for about uh, two years, looks like. And um, he actually started making appearances for total nonstop action wrestling, which the initials TNA were created by Vince Russo in an attempt to get people to think it was late night porn. Right. <clears throat> so it's now called impact wrestling for those that don't know, they changed their name to yeah. impact. Yeah. And it's actually, they, they're putting on a halfway decent product for, especially during the time that where they're having to do it with no, no audience. They're doing a pretty good job, but that's an aside for another day. They, they were a unique um, company. They, they did things a little different. Yeah. They had a, instead of the traditional four-sided ring, they had actually a six-sided ring. So it was, yeah. that was, it was, it was a little unique. It was something, you know, something for people to get used to. They, they tried to differentiate themselves because at this point, w, WWE had owned everything. They had the monopoly in the wrestling business. They put their biggest competitor out of business. So they didn't <clears> look <throat> at TNA as being direct competition to them but they were still on their radar a little bit i believe yeah well and absolutely and, and you know that to, to further your point there i mean you know tna had the x division title which was not focused on weight limits but it was about you know just it was to showcase their best talents and um you know they had some great great talent in that in that division they had samoa joe they had aj styles they had uh, you know christopher daniels they had all these different guys wrestling in X division matches that, and then, and then even further than that, I mean, I would say that especially in early in TNA, the women's division was probably the hottest women's division in wrestling. Um, you know, you had your awesome Kong, your Gail Kim's, your, um, you know, Angelina loves all those people. Velvet Sky. Yeah. The beautiful, I mean, yeah. Madison rain. Yeah. They, they, they're basically their women's division. I think was what, NXT based their model off of, of what they wanted their their yeah. women's division to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's exactly what you want to see out of a company. I mean, and it's something like you know we've talked about with with AEW. You know, the women's division has been very disappointing. I mean, I mean NXT no... right now has the strongest women's division of any yeah. product out there, bar none. Yeah. 
And I think I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't have a strong women's division, because I mean I I we've seen you know they bring as many eyes to the product as as the men do, um you know maybe it's maybe it's different eyes but it's still someone that's there to watch the product, and um you know that's that was what set you know TNA slash Impact apart was you know they did these things that were different, and then you know Hogan and Bischoff came in and they tried to run it like it was WCW light. And, and a lot of those things that we just talked about took a backseat and, you know, it became the nasty boys and somehow the Brutus of beefcake never showed up in, in TNA, but that's a little surprising. Yeah. But, uh, but otherwise, um, you know, it, it became something different, but, um, well, to go back on why sting never went, I actually watched an interview with him. He said, uh, the reason I tried to find the interview for this podcast, I can't find it anymore. I have to look, look at it deeper, but. He actually said the reason he never went to WWE was because he was afraid he would not be used right. He said he said he gave an example of when he first he started he started to watch it and Booker T and Rock were in the ring together and Rock just looked at Booker T and said, "Who in the blue hell are you?" Sting said mm-hmm. that one moment because the Rock was looked upon as such a respected wrestler and you know the top of the top. When he said that to Booker T, he said that completely just took away all of Booker T's credibility and he had to start from the bottom up. Yeah, he stings that he did yeah. not want that to happen to him. He's like, he's like, I, I just felt that the way they were using these guys that were top guys in WCW, they were not using them correctly. They were bringing them in basically like they were newbies that, like, that they didn't know what they were doing. He goes, and I didn't want to mm-hmm. deal with that. Yep, and and I agree. I mean, I think that that was, you know, Sting had to do what was right for him, and you know, Impact was still paying him a decent amount of money, and um, you know, I think that he wanted to help get this new company off the ground. Um, and I mean, he had a lot of random feuds in TNA. I mean, I, I think the most uh, memorable thing that he did was, uh, you know, he basically became the Joker towards the end. Um, and it was a little mix of his crow sting and a little mix of his surfer sting. And it was a kind of interesting blend of the two characters. Uh, it probably wasn't his best work ever, but uh, well, this was around this was around the time too where we thought he was coming to WWE. His contract with Impact yeah. was up, so there was all this speculation online. Okay, he's going to come and and finally we're going to get the dream match, him and Undertaker at WrestleMania. This was 2011. We're yeah. finally going to get that match at Mania, and then that didn't happen. And that's when he came out as the Crow Sting, and we got Triple H versus Undertaker instead. But it, I think originally they they were close. I think they're really doing something there and bringing Sting in. Yeah, I think that vignette was originally supposed to have Sting in it, and it, he, I think he got cold feet at the last minute, and understandably so. Um, as we said, you know, he was he was nervous about how he would be portrayed. He was nervous about how he would be treated, and and you know, this is a guy that he was WCW, and you know, I think rightfully so. He was worried that Vince would use that against him, and um, you know, it that kind of bore out. You know, as as we'll talk about here, you know, momentarily with, you know, him showing up in WWE, which it actually started um, as a um, as a cross promotion with Mattel. Um, he he showed up in full character um, to announce that you know he was going to be in the toy line, and um, you know this is this is how we've seen a lot of these guys come back is you know they'll be put in the video game or they'll be put on the toy line and then it's like. Oh wow! There's all this sudden interest. Let's bring him back in, and I think that was what was going to happen with Randy Savage, but he unfortunately passed away. 
Um, but he had shown up in a, in a video for one of the WWE games and it was like, he cut a full promo and it was like, Oh man. And you know, he died shortly thereafter. Well, one of the things with Sting too, we, we go back a little bit to his impact. He asked, he was actually part of a big stable, uh, the main event mafia. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was him and Booker T and Scott Steiner, I believe was in it. Kurt mm-hmm. Angle. I think they were all, so they were considered the, the main event mafia. And it was, this was around the time where Hogan was there and, and Vin, uh, Vince Rousseau. So it, it, it had its moments, but you could tell that they were just trying to push the older guys over the younger talent that they had. Yeah, it was it was not uh, dissimilar to the uh, Millionaire's Club and the New Bloods that they tried to do in WCW, where it was, you know, the older guys and the younger guys. Uh, I think the younger guys in Impact were called Frontline. And... Um, and as you said, the main event mafia was Sting, um, and then Kurt Angle actually wrested control of the main event mafia from Sting, um, setting up a dream match between the two of them. Um, and they they had a series of pretty decent matches, but um, but yeah, it's you know Sting's time and in, in impact was was not uh, was not without merit. It wasn't without. I mean, he was still enjoyable. Um, other than you know having matches where he's like thrown through a coffin by abyss, right. um, <laughs> but other than that, I mean it was it was still a noteworthy time. Well, I remember one career. I remember one moment in particular where this is where he was supposed to wrestle Jeff Hardy for the uh, mm-hmm. Impact title, and Jeff, Jeff was still wrestling with his demons at this point. I, I remember it where he basically walked out on the match, or, or they deemed that Jeff Hardy couldn't couldn't go on with the match. And people were yeah. chanting. I remember Sting was on the ramp, and people were chanting. I think they said like bullshit or something. And Sting goes, "I agree." He goes, "I absolutely agree." Yeah. He just walked away in disgust because, you know, here it was. Yep. He was supposed to have this big main event match with this guy who couldn't couldn't keep his stuff together. Yeah, I mean, you could you could find that video on YouTube. He's completely blazed out of his mind, um, and you know, Sting is somebody that admitted to adultery and you know, anabolic steroid use and other things, but uh, he got those things under control. And I think he was more disappointed in Jeff than anything. Yeah, he was. He even stated that he was, yeah. he was disappointed, you know, that Jeff couldn't, you know, because, yeah. you know, they, 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 they hyped this match up and then, you know, a lot of people bought the pay-per-view and it just, it, it never happened. <laughs> yeah. And we actually got our final Hogan sting match in at a bound for glory. And I, I don't recall what year it was. I actually bought the pay-per-view for another, done another match that was on the card that I am blanking on what it was right now but um and it was you know Hogan can't take a bump and Sting was is past his prime I mean to be fair yeah and it just wasn't it just wasn't what they they wanted it to be and it wasn't it was kind of sad you know, to watch if you think I mean when you think about it yeah yeah it's just two old guys bleeding in a ring and you know, Hogan ended up turning face at the end of it and, and, you know, teaming up with Sting to fight off God knows whatever faction it was um, at the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and that was that was that in a nutshell. I mean, uh, he was commissioner for a while um, and then he ended up losing to Magnus and Ethan Carter the third on his way out uh, to try to help put them over. But, um, yeah, and then. So that brings us to his final stop on his career, which was uh, to the WWE and then to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the WWE. Now this is a point that we didn't think would ever happen. We were like, we we had heard so many rumors before that, back in 2002, back in 2011. Then we heard rumblings in 2014. He had signed that 
that Mattel deal. And we thought, well, okay, well, Sting's kind of gotten is a little old. He's in his fifties at this point. Mm-hmm. We don't think he's going to debut. But I remember me and you were watching Survivor Series 2014, <clears throat> and we heard his music and saw him come out, and we were both just like, oh my gosh, he's really debuting. He's really here in the WWE after all these years. Yeah, it was. We were in shock, and like that was that great uh, Ziggler uh, showing against the Authority, where um, you know it was. I think that was to end the authority uh, for, you know, for however brief, brief amount of time that ended up being. But, but yeah, um, Ziggler had that great showing and, and Sting came out at the end to cause a distraction and then allowed Ziggler to, to gain the win and kind of set up the course for a tri- for the Triple H uh, Sting match at WrestleMania 31. Yeah, that <laughs> now from what I understand, Triple H really didn't have an issue losing to Sting. That was all Vince McMahon call. Yeah. Yeah. And it was an entertaining match for what it was. Like it was a spectacle. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be a great five-star match. Um, well, what, what was weird to me is that, okay, it made sense to bring in Triple H's comrades, you know, in Degeneration X and the click, but then you bring mm-hmm. the NWO in to back up Sting and they were his biggest opponents throughout his entire career in WCW. Yeah. And here they are on his side. It was just, it was overbooked, but it, but it was fun. And then you get to the ending of the match. It's like, really, Vince, you couldn't put your ego aside even now. You, you've nope. already won. WCW was dead. Yeah, but you won. It's to- been, <laughs> yeah, it had been dead for uh, fourteen years at that point, and he still wouldn't let it go. And you know, they Triple H brought out his sledgehammer. Sting brought out his bat. Bat beat sledgehammer, but then he used the edge of the sledgehammer to hit Sting in the head. And that was the end of the match. And he even said, was, Sting even said in a promo, I think it was the week before this pay per view, he goes, This isn't about WCW versus WWE. This is about Sting versus Triple H. I think he was trying to make yeah. that point subtly to Vince McMahon. But yeah, it was. It was <laughs> so then, then it was not well done. For then, for some reason, he became, uh, he, he got to wrestle Seth Rollins. For a title match. Now, this was only his second match in WWE. He was already in a title match, which I guess you could attribute to because of his legacy and because of who he is. Yeah. He just got a title match. But that was the one that really, I think, ended his career. Yeah, he took a, a buckle bomb, which is where Seth Rollins picks up his opponent and runs across the ring and power bombs him into the turnbuckles. And unfortunately, um, Sting suffered some kind of catastrophic neck injury. Um, he, I mean, you could tell he was hurt on live television um and that was pretty much the end of it for him yeah i think um, i think that we're looking to get more mileage out of him honestly but when that happened it just kind of cut everything yeah. short and then he went into the hall of fame the following year yep on april 2nd he was uh he was inducted into the hall of fame um before wrestlemania 20 or 32 which i mean you know we we can talk about the legitimacy of the wwe's hall of fame you know all day till we're blue in the face but but I think it still means something to these guys, and and, and for the WWE to down own that legacy of NWA and WCW, I think it makes perfect sense for Sting to be there. Yeah, um, they've inducted a lot of wrestlers that that you wouldn't think be there. I mean, Vince has been known to put aside his for business purposes. I mean, I wish he did, he'd inducted Randy Savage earlier because I'd have loved to have heard heard that speech. But yeah, absolutely. But you know, he's he's buried he's buried a lot of animosity towards guys just to bring because. I think one day there might be a legitimate Hall of Fame that people can go through and you know, yeah, I, see see the legacy and career of, of pro wrestling. 
Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, fans like you and me, I mean, we'd pay a, a pretty penny to go down there and be, a, a, be able to actually see these things, um, not just in a WrestleMania access, you know, type of situation, but in an actual, you know, physical Hall of Fame. I think that would be worth the investment for WWE. I mean, they could put it by the performance center if they won, um, and I think that people would go there. Oh, I, and it could pay for itself in, within two years, I think, without yeah, a doubt. I mean, and, you know, that's where you can – you know, really honor these people's legacy. You know, you can have signings there instead of having them at a card table at the local bingo hall. You know, you can give them the opportunity to, you know, come in there and, you know, they can go work with the new talent next door and they can, you know, uh, you know, have signings and, you know, interact with fans there. I mean, obviously right now is a little bit different, but, um, you know, I think that would be an opportunity to give those legends the the type of, treatment they need especially in their golden years um you know a lot of these guys don't get around well and you know it's it's heartbreaking to see them at card tables yeah it is it really it really is but yeah um sting was just he was one of the guys that i watched i was always a wwe guy and i'll admit you know mm -hmm. growing up as a kid i was always a a wwf guy they had the cup when i was a kid they had the colorful characters they had you know, the, the good storylines, but I was always a Sting guy. When I watched WCW, I'd always, I'd always be excited to see Sting because it felt like to me, he belonged in that WWF world of what they were doing at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and the great thing about Sting is, I mean, his, his work style was so unique. Like he wasn't, he wasn't a big lug, like, like a Hogan or a Luger. Like he could move, he could come off the top rope. He could do submissions. He could do, and he, he constantly evolved his moveset. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be doing 450 splashes or, you know, the, the things that we see nowadays that we take for granted. But like, the Stinger Splash always looked amazing. Yeah. Like, it just looked – it looked like it just absolutely crushed the person. Yeah, and, and then um, the Scorpion de- the Scorpion Deathlock, which for people who aren't yeah. familiar is basically the sharpshooter. Yeah. I mean, he was this big guy that he was – he just moved so fast. And, um, and, you know, and he was agile and he was, I mean, and he, he got the crowd into what he was doing because he had, his he was so, call sign. I mean, instead, you know, yeah. players woo, he had where he kept his hands together and gave a big shout, you know, just to get, get yeah. people involved. Yep. And people, I mean, they got onto it. I mean, and, and he beat his chest and people would just, you know, freak out. And, uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's old nitros. I mean, I, I've seen him and Flair wrestle a billion times now. But and, and it never disappoints me. And like, you know, you'll see Flair put him in the figure four and smack him. And then Sting just hulks up and starts beating the crap out of him. While he's still in the figure four. And it's like, it's, I mean, that's what made him unique and made him different. And, and I actually, I was just I was kind of like glancing at Wikipedia for parts of this. And um, uh, Kevin Sullivan, who was the booker at the time, said, uh, if I needed a drawing, Sting and Flair always drew. It was like Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Oh, Flair, Flair but, Sting looked like a million bucks, man. He sold for him yeah. so well. I mean, every move that Sting did, Flair made it count because Flair yeah, respected absolutely. Sting, and Flair knew yeah, Sting was was going to be a big star. Yeah, and I mean, and they they complement each other well. And um, you know, other than Sting being, like I said, the dumbest baby face I've ever seen, I mean, he was he was he was fun. He was like you said, he was the WWE character in WCW, and um, and that's what made him so unique from from what was going on in that promotion at that time. And, he was that superhero you wanted to believe in. And, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge WCW guy either. Um, WWF was many, you know, the main thing that I could get my hands on, but, but Sting, you know, I'd see him in the after mags. I'm like, this guy looks awesome. 
and you know I would I would catch every little bit of them that I could and then that crow run was just it was something magical to, to be a part of and made made Nitro must see television for a long time just because of that you know what's Sting going to do tonight and right you know it didn't pay off well and that that basically killed it but but um but yeah as you said you know Sting was that guy he was he was the character guy of WCW and um I think you know and I don't mean that as any any slight to anyone else but but until Hogan and friends showed up, I mean that was he was the guy, and um, I think I think he's you know one of the top wrestlers of all time. If we if we going by no no promotions or no you know anything else any other qualifiers, I think he's one of the top probably five wrestlers of all time. Oh yeah, mind. oh yeah, without a doubt, he'd definitely be in the talk of the of the top ten yeah. best wrestlers in any promotion anywhere in the world. Yeah, and I think he could draw anywhere. I mean, if it was at a, at a point even now where you're, you're, you know, trying to get people to come to an arena, I think people will come to an arena to see Sting. Yeah. Even if he can't wrestle, I mean, just to, just to yeah. kind of cut a promo or something like that, people would, because he got, he got known to be a better talker through the years. It was awkward for him at yeah. first, I remember, but he, he got yeah. to be a better talker. Yeah. And it, as he had that high energy thing and he was just, he captured you um, in a way that not a lot of people are able to, and especially a lot of times those big guys don't have that personality that, that captures people's attention like that, but it was, he was not unlike Hulk Hogan in that way. Um, you know, both of them, you know, hailed from Venice beach and both of them were these big guys. And, you know, obviously Sting had the face paint, but, um, but they had that similar, they had that charisma that, you know, other big guys like him didn't have. Right. And, um, you know, that's, that's what made him, made him so great. And, um, I was I glad to that's... see him in WWE at the end, but then, but it's kind of a point where where it was like, well, kind of too little, too late, you know. I mean, I, I wish yeah. it, I wished it could have been sooner when he could have been a little bit more in his prime, but it was still, no, not... but it was still, he was still there. I mean, that's still, he's still, yeah. you know, in the video games and still part of part of the legacy of WWE. So to me, that means something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, you know, it was a thing where he never got that take that taker match, but. You know, I think at this point they they couldn't make it passable, and I mean, unless it's in a cinematic. Yeah, I saw. I was gonna say, if they did a cinematic style, I bet you'd be awesome. Yeah, and then you don't have the fans in it, and then it, it loses some of its appeal. Um, but but those cinematic matches have been great. Um, so I, I don't mean any disrespect to them at all. It's just, um, you know, at this point, it's like it's gonna be the greatest match that never was. And um, yeah, that's, that's disappointing, but I, I understand, you know, from the each person's perspective why it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I do too. So, so, uh, we'll put a bow on this with my dogs barking in the background. <laughs> uh, we'll put a bow on this episode. Um, we uh, we thank you guys for joining us for, for 20 of these, and uh, hopefully, you know. Hundreds and hundreds of more to go. Uh, well, I, w- I wanted and... to get with you. Uh, we didn't get to talk about this, but I was thinking next week's show, we can maybe do it on a Wednesday night, uh, mm-hmm. day before Thanksgiving, and talk about Survivor Series. Uh, Survivor Series okay. this Sunday. Talk about just greatest Survivor Series moments. I think that'd be a good thing to do right before, right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah, let's plan on that. All right, so next week we'll do a Survivor Series special. And um, try saying that three times fast, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but we'll 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 do the Survivor Series and we'll talk about the different um, things that have happened. We've actually been to a Survivor Series, so we can talk about that a little bit. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Um, thanks for bringing it up. And then and then after that, we'll go right into our uh, Ric Flair 
uh, three-parter. All right. Sounds good. Um, yeah, and we'll probably try to work in some current stuff because there's a lot going on. But, um, but as as I said, you know, we've been having fun doing these retro perspectives, and you know, it's it's easy. It's a lot more fun than bitching about the current product all the time. So, um, you know, and and we like I said, we don't bitch because we we hate it. We we complain because we we want to see it better, and and we try to bring bring a different show and a different energy than a lot of these other wrestling podcasts out here. So. Um, I appreciate you for joining me for this journey, Jesse, and um, uh, we thank everybody Absolutely. for for listening along and and uh, you know supporting us on on social medias and all the other good stuff that we always talk about. But um, and like I said, uh, check out our Facebook page. I'll post that link for the GoFundMe for uh, Jesse's brother and sister in law. Um, obviously, you know uh, I, I'm not one. I don't want to ever ask you for your money, but uh, but charitable donations is kind of a different thing. So. Um, so we'll definitely get that on there and um, just thank you all. Yep. Um, Jesse, my buddy, my buddy, my friend, uh, this is Johnny podcast signing off. Uh, Jesse's body. It's time for you to tell everybody to have a good night and be safe. And then we'll get out of here. All right, everybody. Remember to join us next week for our survivor series uh, retrospective day before Thanksgiving and uh, everybody be calm, be safe out there and have a good one.